This is an ABC podcast. Meteorites, space rocks, they are so hot right now. Well, actually, they're often cold or lukewarm by the time they crash into Earth. But amongst collectors, the global meteorite market is definitely hot. Even Bitcoin investors have jumped on the bandwagon. And most of the space rocks being bought by wealthy Westerners come out of Morocco and are found by Saharan desert nomads. There are more than 10,000 meteorites collected in Morocco. That's a lot of space rocks. So how many do you reckon are on display in North African museums for locals to enjoy or African scientists to study? Have a guess. So in total, in the official institutions in Morocco, we maybe have less than 10 meteorites. Just 10 meteorites out of more than 10,000 have stayed in Morocco. And it could be asked, is this a kind of space rock colonialism with wealthy Westerners pillaging Africa for its valuable natural resources? I'm Natasha Mitchell with Science Friction and I'm starting with a place that is... Look, nothing like I've ever seen before. Hello. Hello, Natasha. How are you? You must be Tom. I am. Please come in. (laughs) I've arrived at a large, nondescript warehouse in an industrial area of suburban Melbourne. On the outside, it looks like your run-of-the-mill brick factory in a back street. But on the inside... And here it is. Oh, my goodness. (gasps) Oh... Hundreds, actually thousands of Aboriginal artworks fill this space, adorning the walls from floor to ceiling. Hang on a tick. And there's more. So I've just walked past a 135 million year old dinosaur bone. And behind that is a fighter jet. Yes, a real one at scale. The whole thing. I'm Tom Capitani. I'm a geologist and a botanist and an eccentric collector of all things natural history and travel around the world and have fun doing so. And often Tom's travels are with another eccentric collector. We've landed in a very special place with a very special friend of yours. Uh, Hank Eves, absolutely. Yeah, Hank's got an amazing gallery of Indigenous art and minerals and antiquities and just an amazing thing. This is his personal house. Dutch-born Hank Eaves, now in his 80th year, made his fortune running a helicopter company. He's tall, impeccably dressed, with post-box red patent leather boots. So we've just come to see his collection, which is the best one on display in the country, so... Yeah, so that's why it's still here. But uh, my hobby is, is art, as you can see. There's about 3,000 paintings here. I mean, Opening I've another thought, door on the second floor, and my eyes just do not know where to feast first. In a large room full of thousands of Asian and European artworks, antiquities, ceramics, Chinese jade burial suits, books, maps, natural history ephemera and curios. Every surface is covered and carefully curated with thick red carpet under our feet. I feel like I've entered Narnia. You need to be holding a piece of Mars. Here we are. Give me my piece of Mars. Stop you the mic and hold the piece you know, of Mars. You're holding Mars. Oh, but up Mars. a stepladder and into a snug little carpeted den with red and black walls lined with glass cabinets is what I've come to see. Hank's den of rare space rocks. 
These two are obsessed with meteorites. I love the smell of the meteorite. And I could just sniff it for a little while and get a high from that. And it's, What does it smell like? Oh, it's, it's like... It's, gone it's, no, no, it's actually very... Did you say eggs gone bad? Eggs gone no, bad. No, it's, it's an extremely pleasant smell. It's a very smooth smell. It's a very... Just something so different and so unique. And to think, this came from space and beginnings of life. It's, you are literally drunk on meteorites. Literally, uh, amongst other things. Together, these two wealthy, unusual friends, both science buffs, travel the world buying up meteorites at rock and mineral shows. There's rooms full of meteorite dealers, crystal dealers, guys from Morocco, guys from Uruguay, guys from Russia, from Canada, from all over the world. And between them, these two have built significant private meteorite collections. That's the oldest thing you'll ever touch in your life. It's 4.56 billion years old. Billion. And astronomically expensive. About a million. That, that's worth a million dollars. Ten years ago, lunar and Martian meteorites were over $1,000 a gram. Martians were two to $4,000 a gram. They've become more common, so when you're looking at 2,000 grams, you can do the math. My eye catches a label on a chunk of rock. So NWA6963, so you have had that classified and identified yes. as genuine, authentic Martian meteorite. Yes. So to think these meteorites are as old as the planet or 4.5 billion years old, as old as our universe. They've come a long way to call, well, this place home. Absolutely. Well, we're just bits of space dust finding our way in the universe as well. We're part of what these things are, really. They're part of us. You can really get a sense of the seduction of space rocks, can't you? The name of that meteorite I just saw in Hank's collection, NWA or Northwest Africa 6963, if you check out the Meteoritical Society's official database, you'll discover its story, that it was found in 2011 by a meteorite hunter in the Western Sahara Desert, sold to a Moroccan meteorite trader called Aziz Habibi, and classified by a well-known meteorite scientist, Carl Agee, at the University of New Mexico. Now, that mirrors the story behind the most famous Martian meteorite of all, Black Beauty, NWA 7034, which was also sold by Aziz in the same year. And I shared the incredible saga of Black Beauty last episode. You really should catch up with the podcast if you missed it. It's pretty wild. Aziz sold Black Beauty to Jay Piatek, who's a wealthy weight loss doctor in Indiana, who was busy amassing one of the world's biggest meteorite collections at the time. I told Aziz, this is really special. He got a bunch of nomads and they started combing the desert. And as Western scientists started to piece together Black Beauty's wild origin story. They start finding other meteorites that were Black Beauty in this field. But it was all desert. It was hard to find. It was in a war zone. But they had 500 nomads at one time scanning the desert, finding it. And so I ended up buying, let's say, two kilograms. I bought almost all of it. I owned 90% of it because I knew it was going to be valuable at that time. And the meteorite trade out of Morocco seems to have exploded in the years since. This has become a big business and a controversial one. I have every day many people coming to my office at the university with black rocks saying, oh, yes, I've found a meteorite. I've seen this rock falling in front of me. And actually, there are many black rocks on Earth that are not meteorites. And get this, in the lingo of meteorite collectors, those rocks are called meteor 
wrongs. Professor Hasna Shanawi is on a mission in Morocco to keep Northwest Africa's rich geological heritage in African hands, or at least accessible to African citizens and scientists. And that geoheritage includes the meteorites that fall on their lands. Because after Antarctica, her region is where most meteorite discoveries are made in the world, preserved and visible in the hot, dry sands of the Saharan Desert. Antarctica is by far the number one place to get meteorites. Astrogeologist Gretchen Benedicts from Curtin University. And in Antarctica, all meteorite finds are owned by governments. And those go into scientific repositories, museums, uh, university collections. Scientists request materials. But in the Sahara Desert, it's anyone's game. Looks like Lawrence of Arabia. Meteorite scientist Carl Agee. If a meteorite is sitting out there, you can see it. It's, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And yet most of these desert discoveries are being shipped offshore to private collectors in the West. African institutions miss out, and so might the world's scientists, including African scientists, who are dependent on the generosity of enthusiastic buyers like Tom Capitani and Jay Piatek to share specimens of the rocks they buy. So I buy, like... A container or two a year from Morocco. Sea contained like 20 to 40 tonne of rocks, crystals and minerals from Morocco on a yearly basis. Tom Capitani runs an import-export business called Crystal World, trading in meteorites, gems, crystals, minerals, fossils, and he operates more than 35 mining leases to get these materials. I love Morocco. It's just, you go over the Atlas Mountains into the Sahara Desert, into a place called Erafud and Razani, and that's where most of the meteorite collectors bring their specimens to from the Sahara Desert. Their business cards, a GPS address. And so the nomads are out in the desert all the time. They can travel from Morocco to Algeria, to Libya, all the way over to Egypt down south into Mali, Mauritania. So there's this vast region, you know, they'll spot a meteorite and so there it is. So it, people have become aware that it is, uh, they're valuable objects. It really is now supply and demand. Local hunters and dealers have become amazingly sophisticated as to what they have. Hi, my name is Mendy Uzalu. I am the owner of Skyfall Meteorites. I am also the president and founder of the Global Meteorite Association. Some of these hunters and dealers even have their own testing equipment where they can do some preliminary scientific testing on their own to determine what the meteorite is. And because of increasing access to the internet, it's a lot easier for them to identify is this really valuable or, or is it just a more common meteorite? But a rock's value can really only be realised if it's scientifically confirmed to be an actual meteorite. Absolutely critical. Without it, it's just a guess. And it gives us confidence that what we're selling really is what we're selling or buying or putting in our institutions. There is so much fraudulent meteoritic material on eBay I, I don't even know where to start. And in his office a world away from Morocco, Carl Agee has become something of a go-to scientist for nomads wanting to make money from the rocks they find. Mostly 
through, believe it or not, through Facebook Messenger. Wow. (laughs) And so... It's one way to do science. (laughs) Yeah. They have the sample in hand. They show me a picture and they say, what is this? And I said, I have no idea. You have to send it to me (laughs) and then I'll tell you. And the reason why I do this is because there are some amazing samples that have come out of the Sahara over the past, let's say, 20 years. And believe it or not, they continue to come. There's nothing like having the first of something when you're doing science. Meteorites offer you superpowers. Scientific superpowers to look back in time and deep into space, to unlock secrets about the evolution of other planets, about life, us, the formation of our entire solar system. This is big. But here's the thing. If these secrets are locked inside rocks inside the private collections of wealthy Westerners. Will science ever be able to reveal them? Or will only Western scientists like Carl Agee get first dibs at trying? If you go to any collection in the world, in London or New York or Chicago or in all over the world, you will find Moroccan meteorites on exhibits and they are everywhere. Professor Hasna Shanawi at the Hassan Second University of Casablanca reckons Morocco is being stripped of its cultural and geological heritage. She was the Arab world's first and first female meteorite scientist. She also runs an NGO promoting Moroccan meteorite science to children and the wider community. But in Morocco, the only collection that we have is my personal collection. It's all the meteorites that I buy since 2000. I did that because otherwise there will be no samples of those meteorites staying in Morocco. So that's extraordinary to me that the only meteorite collection of Moroccan found meteorites that exists in Morocco is in your personal collection and you've paid for those meteorites out of your own money, there's no official institutional holding of Moroccan meteorites, is there? This is a big concern, and that's why we work on educating people in the south of Morocco, in the Sahara, on how it's important to have some samples staying in their region by having regional museums attracting tourists that come to see this heritage in the place where it's collected to show that we have this incredible richness and to take care of by themselves. It's an important source of income for people. But avid collector Jay Piatek in Indiana, the owner of the original Black Beauty meteorite we heard about last show, he argues the deals he does over meteorites also provides income. I've paid serious money for these. That is so good for their communities, for their nomads. I mean, this is a job that came up in the last 15 years that no one was doing. So you can see, though, that this is history repeating itself, that African nations have incredible intellectual capital. They have had so for millennia. And yet there's been this colonial history which is predicated on the West taking resources from that nation. And so they never get a chance 
to finance or build the intellectual capital and institutions that they have they have and i bet you any money there's been probably 30 to 50 million dollars pumped into those economies now they have a choice they could just Osna could have just said, wait a minute, don't take those. I want to keep them. But it, it wouldn't have been worth anything other than the fact that you could get them to a scientist. There's no collectors going there. And so it just sits in the mm. ground because there's no value. The value is that people will pay for them in Sumatra. I paid 12 different tribal people for this meteorite and one of them i paid 180,000 to the poorest of areas is it stealing no they got something of value for it now they're mad because like in the cultural property the scientists didn't get it but it's not like it's just sitting in my collection science has benefited greatly and behind every great museum collection is a dead collector. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because every collection, Smithsonian, every one of them, they got their collection from someone that died that had a big collection that gave it to them. I've been a big donor to museums, well over a million dollars worth of specimens over the years to, to Victorian museums, and I donate regularly to museums around the world. Tom Capitani. But some donations from private collectors to science come with strings attached. I tend to now donate things on the basis that they have to be made available to the general public. They may touch them and feel them. They put them behind glass, I will charge them. If they allow kids to touch them and feel them, they're free. If they lose them or get broken, I'll give them another one for free. When it goes to a museum, it's less problematic because it's still available for humanity and for research. When it goes to private hands, it's more difficult. It's a loss for science and for humanity. And a loss for North Africa, where so many of these meteorites are found, but then sold to offshore buyers. That's what Hasna Shanawi is fighting to change. She set up a temporary meteorite exhibition in Morocco as a start, with the rocks she's paid for out of her own pocket. It's not so big that we dream on, but uh, it's a step uh, to having a permanent national uh, history museum in Morocco and different regional museums. But nearly all private collectors, people like Jay, Mendy, Tom, who donate meteorites to science and love doing so, donate them mainly, if not exclusively, to Western institutions and scientists. And they'll tell you that without their donations, science simply would never get to study anywhere near the number of meteorites it does. That there's a symbiotic relationship at work here. Everyone wins. Scientifically, these are invaluable because we learn so much about them. So there has been some tension between the trading and the collecting and the science. Astrogeologist Professor Gretchen Benedicts from Curtin University says it can be complex for scientists to negotiate access to samples held by private collectors. Her colleagues run the Desert Fireballs Network. They chase down meteorites in the Australian desert straight after they fall, which is when they're most scientifically valuable. But most scientists don't have that capacity. It takes time and money, which means private collectors have become kind of gatekeepers to many of the world's rarest meteorite finds. There are agreements in place. So a meteorite cannot be deemed a meteorite unless it has been certified by the Meteoritical Society. It's an international organization that the main 
point of how you define whether you have a meteorite or not. And collectors depend on scientists to do that testing and certification. The Meteoritical Society, the peak scientific body, requires collectors who seek official classification of the rocks they've bought to give a sample to an approved scientific collection as part of that process. So either 20 grams or 20% of the total rock, whichever's bigger. Now, this has caused some consternation amongst scientists who have told me you can't predict what a whole intact space rock might reveal as distinct from a tiny sample cut off randomly by a collector. But Professor Carl Agee, Director of the Institute of Meteoritics at the University of New Mexico, says it's in his scientific interest to foster good relationships with collectors. Most collectors actually really enjoy working with the scientists. If I were to say, well, I want to have that whole meteorite that you have and I want to put it on display in my museum, that's not going to happen, most likely. But if I say, well, you know, I just need a few grams because our analytical techniques, they don't require a, a huge piece of rock. I tend to gravitate towards things that are really scientifically important. Meteorite collector and dealer Mendy Uzalu. There's so much collaboration and I cannot tell you the number of times that I've found something interesting in a meteorite and then presented it to a scientist and said, hey, this might very well be something that you're interested in. And so it is through this symbiotic relationship that a lot of great science gets done. Where I played a role is I've been blessed as a doctor that I, I make money. Medical doctor and meteorite collector, Dr. Jay Piatek. Most people in America, these uh, institutions, don't have any money to buy meteorites. What Carl does a lot of times, he'll call me up and he'll say, Jay, here's a rare lunar meteorite because he knows I'll buy it. Are you giving to science because you might get something back out of it? Or are you giving to science you know for what? the value of knowledge? No, the more you give, the more they discover. And it's a win-win then, because the more they discover, the better the meteorite is. Better for scientists like Carl and more valuable, obviously, to collectors like Jay and Mendy. Now, Carl Ag freely loans the rock samples he is given to other scientists around the world so that they can also add to new knowledge. But there is nothing like getting in first, because being first to make a big finding and publish your results in a reputable journal is how scientists build a name, attract funding to do more research. And so the question is, are scientists in Africa losing that opportunity to build their own scientific capacity if the rocks found in their countries are sent straight to American scientists like Carl? Meteorite scientist Hasna Chenawi. Yeah, it's clear it's not the best um, system. You don't play with the same um, <laughs> rules of game. You lose the rocks. You don't really have the facilities to uh, work on them, the training to work on them. It's what we are doing in Morocco is to train a young community of researchers to work on this meteorite. And Professor Shanawi has fought long and hard to have new regulations in Morocco that ensure they get to keep at least a sample of meteorites found in the region and that the meteorites are officially named to reflect their Moroccan origins. When we do this, we have at least a 
proper name, a good description of the rock, of the history of the fall, etc. So this is something that we are very proud of. So some pieces stay in Morocco. To, to what extent is this new system policed? Is it actually monitored or could it be the case that meteorite samples are still heading overseas without any official sanction? Yeah, of course, there are, it's um, maybe 5 to 10% of um, the exported meteorite that are officially exported. So the majority is is still being unofficially sent out of Morocco without any official knowledge. And so what does that mean for you as a scientist? Oh, it's um, a bit frustrating when you have samples coming from your country, when there is a fall or when there is a of um, interesting meteorite. I have to buy it. It's with my um, uh, personal uh, fence. Otherwise, uh, nothing will stay in Morocco. For Moroccans like Hasna, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. If you can't keep your country's meteorites, you can't build your science capacity. And if you don't build your science capacity, you won't get to keep and classify your own space rocks. It's been the same story throughout the colonial history of Africa, with the West taking more than they give back. Carl A.G. I understand their frustration. It's really a shame. I would... From my perspective, I, I would be fine if all the meteorites stayed in Morocco, you know, <laughs> as long as we get to study them, you know. It's just really unfortunate. That's sort of the way the world's set up nowadays, you know, that you have the countries that are able to pay for science and uh, the countries who can't afford it, you know. Do you think there's an onus then on the wealthy West to support Morocco to build some of that infrastructure that, so they can study some of the meteorites locally and have their names on the key papers. Yeah, I mean, it would be fabulous if somebody, you know, Elon Musk or somebody decided that they were going to donate. Or ultimately, these things have to be supported by, you know, governments. We cannot deny the, the role of colonialism uh, in North Africa. Collector and dealer Mendy Uzulu, who as it happens has an Algerian father, has created a new international association for meteorite collectors, the Global Meteorite Association, one that looks a little different to the existing association. He has a Moroccan trader on the founding board of directors. And, and I hope he, he will be the first, but not the last, that we have continuing representation from the world's great deserts. I wanted to make sure that their contributions were recognized and the important role that they've played, uh, not just in the history of these desert finds from the Sahara Desert, but in what's to come as well. And I reached out to that trader, Noradine Azelmat, for this story, but he was heading into the desert on a collecting trip at the time. Big thanks to all my guests today. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Email me at sciencefriction at abc.net.au. Love to hear your story ideas, your feedback and your tip-offs. Yes, feel free to get in touch. And Science Friction, the podcast, tell the world about it. Tell your friends it's on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast platform. My thanks this week to sound engineer Matthew Crawford and to Joel Werner. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.